celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora. Welcome to Tall Poppy Talk, and today we have Ashley Stanley. Ashley is an athlete advocate and always possible. In a professional capacity, she works full-time at the New Zealand Rugby Players Association as a player representation advisor. Prior to this role, she worked out of the newsroom NZ as a sports reporter before taking maternity leave. Ashley started the sports blog Beyond the Mark that dives into getting to know the person beyond the player. She's worked at the locker room NZ, a dedicated section in the newsroom NZ covering women in sport in New Zealand, and she's a regular, regular contributing writer, as well as frequently holding roles in various sports media areas. With a background of academic and business excellence, combined with her practical experience, I think Ashley is a truly an inspiration. So it's a pleasure to welcome you today to Tall Poppy Talk. Where and how are you today, Ashley? Thank you so much for that lovely intro, Grace. I'm actually in my um, partner's parents' house, so my in-laws' house um, in Hillsborough, Auckland, Aotearoa, New Zealand. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the time to come and actually have a chat. <laughs> Uh, appreciate it so much and um, just diving straight in I know from doing some digging that you focus academic research into the player experience of Māori and Pacific Islander descent athletes and I think maybe that kind of started to shape your career but I can't deduce much I just wanted to ask could you outline your career journey? Yeah, sure. It's a it's a bit of a variety um, and it has stretched over a little while because I'm 30, 35 now. Uh, so before I get into the career, I'll probably just do a little bit of background of like growing up and stuff. So I've like born and raised in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but my, my dad's Samoan, my mum's New Way, and, and we've been involved in rugby, um, you know, for my whole life. My, my dad and my brother were fortunate to um, represent uh, the men's team in rugby for New Zealand, and so with that came a lot of um, a lot of opportunities and doors were open because of it. So if we fast forward now to like career wise, um, <laughs> to be honest, my first job straight out of high school was actually like a printer person, like at a at a big New Zealand law firm. Um, but I worked for Fuji Xerox, and they were basically had a contract with one of New Zealand's biggest law firms and they had that many printers that they needed a person on site to look after and manage the relationship and so that's what I did when I first got out of high school. Um, Absolutely loved it. In hindsight looking back there were probably a lot of difficult things in terms of what uh, work environments and that can provide that I was unaware of at that age Um, but then I kind of I moved to Brisbane Um, straight probably a year out of high school and I went into like a variety of roles so um, mostly in admin to be honest Um, but it was admin looking after um, like senior executive level uh, roles Um, and so that was through like a coal mining company like a global coal mining company um, an engineering and consultancy firm again a global one that was in Brisbane Um, and I looked after like legal counsel CEOs, like senior management, um, and mostly in all in admin roles. And from there, from those roles is what I kind of um, gathered was I learned really early on that I was like, oh, okay, so these are the roles where people make decisions and that they can affect change on all of 
everybody in this company slash if it's a global company, essentially maybe the world. And so I cottoned on real quick, like, yes, I was looking after them from an admin perspective, but I was getting privy info across so many things around business and how things and how things work and how people operate and kind of all of that kind of insight. And so I thought, oh, okay. When I was sitting there over in Brizzy, I was like, oh, okay. So this is the positions that I need to get to. I want to be able to get to this kind of level and I want to be able to make change that way because I can see that this is actually where the decisions are being made. And so I thought, okay, I need to go back and study. I need to have something on, you know, like I need to have a piece of paper. And so that kind of brought me back home. Um, I actually followed someone over there, didn't quite work out. And so I came back because when I went to try and study over there, there were, you know, too many barriers around because I wasn't an Australian citizen. Like I'd have to pay up front for tertiary and all that. And so I thought, okay, fine. I'll come back home to New Zealand. Came back home to New Zealand to study at AUT um, and just was like, okay, I randomly need to get into a job to help me fund as well while I'm studying. And I managed to get a role, an admin role in the vice chancellor's office at AUT. Um, and again, there, so because I was looking after like the internal auditor um, and like, the legal executive again, so the AUT solicitor, um, I learned, was still learning very thing on getting information, privy information over how the universities run, who, who runs it, what kind of um, things people do and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought, yes, they're still obviously, this is where the decisions are made in terms of how the university is operates. And so, okay, yep, I was lucky enough to learn a hell of a lot of stuff and get a lot of experiences working in the internal audit department. Um, and then while I was studying, so I've managed to get my study and, and all of that. So I got my undergrad at AUT and I got my postgrad. So I did, we did a master of communication studies while I was there. And we're talking over a period of 10 years, Grace. So <laughs> it was a long, it was a long haul, but it was good in the sense of my life for my life journey at that period. So I was able to have my two kids then, um, my two degrees, and the last degree that I did, what you touched on, the Master of Communication Studies was, um, it focused on, it kind of combined, you know, all of my upbringing and family kind of rugby interests. Um, and it looked at, the topic was, uh, what were the, you know, Māori and Pacific Island experiences within Auckland Rugby Academy? Um, and that, and the findings, you know, from there were pretty, it was, it, they weren't rocket science, like they the findings were basically what a lot of people know. It was just, um, it was kind of eye opener for me to realize that there wasn't actually a lot of research done in that space. And also kind of scary in the sense that, um, you know, our populations, our rugby population has a lot, like as majority Māori and Pacific. Uh, so I was happy that I could try and work with our men, young men at that age, at that stage, um, around giving something back to be like, this is that these are the experiences that they're um, that they're having in this, you know, you know, at this stage of the pathway, um, and maybe these are the kinds of things that. Uh, you know, organizations or unions could kind of think about doing to help improve their experience. So in a nutshell, that's the career, like a real fast one, but not really fast around how, which roles I've kind of done and how I've managed to get there. Uh, but it, I think it, centering all of them is that idea of, I learned a hell of a lot at, on, around like power dynamics and who makes decisions when. Um, and then second one was I was able to, 
use the different roles that I was getting and having experience of how to practically maybe do that. So, you know, at the end of AUT career, while I was still there doing the masters, I was doing like comms, like communication, social media, like a variety, like a very general kind of role. Um, so it was really important to help me see how I can um, plan my career and offer like, you know, where I can probably offer the most kind of value to people. So that's a, that's kind of a nutshell. I don't know if you wanted me to go into like what the findings of research and stuff were, but up to you. What I'm trying to say in executive summary, mm. I know like for listeners who do know, you say the findings weren't necessarily surprising, but if we have maybe overseas listeners or people who aren't familiar for some reason, what were the findings? So the three the three main findings for that question around like Māori and Pacific Island experiences within Auckland Rugby Academy. The first one was, um, and uh, just so that I can, you know, make sure that I get it right, it's that this was done for the Young Men Academy. At the time that I went into the research, there wasn't a women's program. So the women's development at a provincial union was only just coming in. Uh, there was a uh, one of our greats, um, Anna Richards, had just been employed by Auckland Rugby at the time I went into the research to bring up the Women's High Performance um, Academy. But I had to do it on the men because there wasn't a women's one to do. And it was probably like that's where I could probably hopefully make at least conversations open because there is their academy pathways have been so set in this country. So the first finding was out of, you know, after speaking, after going through a year with them, um, it was the first finding was relationships rule everything around me. So that idea that if you have like the relationships that the boys, that the young men have with each other as teammates, but also very crucially the relationships they have with staff, contractors, like um, everybody that comes into contact with them. Because as you know, as a student athlete, you have a hell of a lot of people um, coming into contact with you, whether it's measuring how high you can jump, how fast you can, how fast you can run, is your medical okay, um, is your head okay, is you know, if there's a hell of a lot of people that come in um, to these spaces that they get exposed to, so understanding that their experiences of the academy as a whole would be based around one, the relationships they hold, and whether or not those relationships are nurtured in a way that actually is beneficial um, for both for everybody, especially the players and athletes that not a lot of <laughs> research or that is is done on in a rugby environment anyway. Um, definitely a lot of research probably in the US and student athletes there. The second finding was around um, communication and content set the game plan. So trying to play on obviously the rugby sporting analogies, but in a, in a nutshell, it's basically whatever is delivered in those academies the content needs to be relevant and it needs to be relevant for that age and stage of their career um, and the way in which it is communicated needs to also be relevant for that age and stage of their career so there was a lot of feedback that you know they felt potentially that it was a lot of speaking at them as opposed to with with them um, and like I sat in with them for over a, probably over a year to go with these sessions, you know, I was very hands-on, I, I think, from like a research perspective. Normally, you probably wouldn't do that, but it felt right for me and it felt right to, that's what we would do, like as a, like, you know, 
like Māori and Pacific, you usually you have to go in and you have to build those relationships to get buy-in. Um, so I saw <laughs> firsthand like how that I could get everything that they were saying. So everything that I've written in the masters was just feedback that the, that the men had given me. And that content and communication, setting the game plan, if it's not right for them and if it's not um, relevant for them, then there is actually no development as well at that stage. Like that again, not rocket science, but you'd be amazed at like how many things are, you know, are actually similar to the people that they get exposure to in those environments, the content that they get access to. Like if it's not communicated in a way that's really relevant, you're just, it's, it's, it's really boring. But it was likened to basically a school setting and that they don't have good perceptions of school because of the whole hierarchical power dynamics of, you know, being spoken at and all of that kind of stuff. So um, that was the second finding as content and communication basically matter. And then the third finding out of it was that it was it was run by by uh, beyond the mark tagline of under, understanding the person beyond the player. So that real idea of probably speaking to identity. And so the organization or the franchise or the union or whoever understanding that they're people first and that they bring into these environments all of themselves, maybe if that's encouraged. Um, and that's important to know around how you set out potentially a development program. Like if you know it's that they're one, maybe don't get paid a lot of money at that stage and two, you're asking them to travel a fair bit to get to the academy, but you know that half of the demographic has lives, you know, maybe out South Auckland or West Auckland and you're in the city, taking into consideration even the traveling is asking them a lot. So if you put an extra um, sessions be mindful of that as in make it really valuable why would you put in another session what is it that you want them to get out of it because again they they don't have kind of the means to potentially do something like that so it's just being very thoughtful of their lives outside of um, rugby which obviously affects them and their performance um, and that actually ties in again so one from an organizational perspective but then also from the players themselves understanding themselves as people beyond the player you know so being really important and again and it's hard potentially about offering information or talking about like identity at that level of a pathway potentially I'm not sure I haven't seen the research on it but actually prepping at that stage or even earlier around that whole not tying your identity up in your sport so making sure that you understand as a player, the person beyond the player as well. So your interests, your likes, your dislikes, how you, you know, the things that might trigger you. Being yourself aware is basically what that point, the second sub point for that one is. So there's a two way kind of thing that people needed to be aware of. So um, when we talk about it, like those three findings, so those are the three main findings and obviously there's a hell of a lot of stuff underneath that. Um, it, when you talk about it like that, it doesn't seem rocket science. That's why I'm saying I'm not saying anything new. I think it was just more that it was new in the sense of things that was researched for, for that for that specific group and community within rugby in New Zealand, which again is kind of scary, but then also like cool that, that we got to do it, but scary that we don't have a lot of research in that space considering the num playing numbers. So yeah, that was a, my, the, our research in a nutshell. <laughs> Well, I think too, I'll get into the part later about 
when you can start having that conversation with athletes in general about identity because I think that's huge but before that I think what's really interesting from hearing the research is because of your experience in the high level admin scene behind like these are where the decision gets made without research to reference all those things that are like oh yeah we know that like you say it's not rocket science but it actually needed to be consolidated and put into research because there's nothing to draw on like I think the fact that you have such experience in those roles in those situations where you know what it takes to get decisions made if there wasn't that research for people to draw on then there's it's going to be harder to push initiatives that will lead to reform so I think because of all that prior work experience you've had the way you've presented it it's like you can't deny those findings and Mm. it's the real experience the fact that you were able to go in and work with them um I think hopefully that's really impactful for people to draw on and kind of segueing from research and more into your work with the locker room and beyond the mark blog why do you think media platforms such as beyond the mark blog locker room are so vital what is their purpose yeah sorry I totally forgot to add in that second part of my career after the research no that's a natural segue it was it was like oh I did the study and then uh actually decided that I wanted to go into comms and sports journalism to be exact and I managed to get a role as you mentioned at locker room which is newsrooms dedicated section for women in sport um so the reason why I feel like beyond like We'll start with locker room first. I feel like the reason why locker room and those kinds of platforms are important um, is because uh, they're not the norm. So, you know, like I feel I, there's always these conversations like, oh, why do you have to have like a dedicated section for women in sport? Like we're all equal. Like everyone gets to, you know, everyone is just, they're just players. <laughs> and I'm like, the point of them, the reason why we have platforms like locker rooms is because we're not the norm. Once it becomes the norm, then we won't, it will become obsolete. We won't need to have a locker room, you know, we won't need to put into like, like equity basically into spaces around women in sport because they are just, we're just part of the norm. Unfortunately, we're not there at that, at that, that stage. So the, it's important to have role, it's important to have platforms such as them because you get to dedicate specifically and hone in on topics and people that un, that would not necessarily be um, covered in mainstream media, maybe, you know. So that's, that's why Locker Room uh, was so important to me and why I kind of was like took the opportunity to go into sports journalism. I, you know, never had done it other than like starting up my own blog. Um, but I could see that again it was giving and contributing and adding value to an area that one I was interested in and two I knew that could hopefully potentially influence a lot of change because if you're part of it and you're in it and you can you you know you spend your days writing on awesome amazing women who play sport or involved in sport then I know that I'm in a spot that I'm contributing Um, and that I feel like I'm getting a buzz out of it too but hopefully like my kids and you know everyone in society are also doing that so that's the massive reason why locker room is so important and the platforms and you know media platforms like that that give voices and a 
and opportunities for people that aren't normally covered, they can be covered, you know, and that came from that role randomly came from because I started up my own blog. So similar kind of thing, sitting at AUT was like, was, you know, had studied the master of communication studies, wasn't, but I still needed to practice. Like I was like, Oh, but I, but I want to write like I, you should just practice when no one was going to give me, no one was giving me any opportunities to write. So I was just like, ah, I just like make up my own blog. You know, like for me, I was like, okay, if I practice it myself, then at least I can control it. If they read it, maybe similar to what you're doing here. Like if they read it, they read it. If they don't, like I can, you know, just keep on going. And thankfully for me, the, you know, with like I said, the opportunities that were open because my rugby, my family was involved with rugby, I was able to create my own blog, but then get access to to sports people and administrators that way to help me, you know, practice the trade, but then also have family friends. Um, so a guy named Phil Gifford who wrote my dad's book, go to him just be like, oh, hey, and we call him the king, long, long story, but <laughs> we call him the king. And I'm like, hey, king, would you be okay to edit? Help me edit. Like I write something and you can, would it be all right? Do you have time just to check? And he did, of course he did. So, you know, like the blog was something where I just do these kind of things. I go and ask people that I was interested in hearing about their stories, you know, athletes and administrators. But like on top of their sporting success um and then i'd ask the king to read over it and then he would you know he would be okay but again i knew so i'm very purposeful i suppose i'm very i usually plan out quite a lot of things and so like in my mind i knew that yes writing was an aspect that you know people might like write like reading things but at this at this day and age people also like in videos you know like watching visually is also another one so I try to match like what I was writing and I do like the little video snippet for each person and it was just kind of like the the theme around that was like five things you didn't know about the person and then that way it was like well people who are interested in watching videos can do the watching and people who are interested in reading can do the reading side but because of that blog I got into contact and touch with Suzanne McFadden who was the editor of Locker Room. And then that's how I got my role um, randomly because again, and I shouldn't say randomly, it was because of the opportunities that had been afforded because of the connections that I'd made through career and family and stuff. So that's how I got into doing that. And I feel like I've gone past, like I haven't updated the blog in a very long time but it's still everywhere that I go, all the work that I do, I feel like it's the same ethos of what the blog was about anyway. So it's just like contributing in, in a different way and another way, but still knowing that everything that I do is guided by the same kind of values. So um, that's why I feel like Beyond the Mark served its purpose and it was good for me at the time. And I got to do what I wanted to do, talk to people and ask about the experience, um, experiences. And then I, now I've been into locker room and got experience through there. And thankfully, like as part of, because it was a scholarship, it's a grad role. Um, you know, through that, I was able to do my two-year grad role and then decided I got pregnant and was like, okay, it's my turn to step down. Actually, another person, the amount of, um, it was another person's turn. So the amount of like dedicate like the amount of time and effort that you get given in that role because it's not like a traditional media outlet because it's a one-on-one -on -one mentorship with Suzanne I learned like I mean I went from not being a writer I didn't study journalism and I had experience with her for two years I was like this is what someone else should be getting 
you know like I've got I've got what I needed and Souza's given me everything um but it's time to step down like other people need these opportunities too not just because I can't just hog it and be like yeah I want to stay here forever because I love it there's a hell of a lot of other people that we need to build capacity and capability around um women in sport you know and coverage and in any kind of capacity so um that's why I kind of was like it's my time it's now and so a lovely um she's now got Merrin so Merrin Anderson's been with Sue's at locker room for a while and that's yeah, that's basically why those platforms are so are so needed. Yeah. Well, I firstly, what I think is very exciting for me is hearing that you started the blog as an authentic. You just wanted to write, and you had this passion, and it led into something else. But because it was so authentic, and what motivated you, yeah, it it didn't. You didn't need results because you were going to keep going along. And it is about the people who support you. It it takes a village to you know achieve something so I laugh at the king but he was probably huge like hugely impactful and to know you had that support and in an area you weren't familiar with it's the same as the locker room right like you have to create a platform and welcome people in and give them the opportunity to have experience in something they haven't like the locker room for me when I first came across it was because Lucy Spores a rower mm-hmm. who I admire tremendously. Um, you know, she says, I want to come back from having a baby and be an Olympic medalist. Like I want to win gold. And I had not really heard that ever. Mm-hmm. And I've been in rowing for a while. And so that was a story that maybe it would have come onto another sports medium, but I don't think it would have because it hasn't yet. Um, yeah. So that was like really cool to see that those were the stories getting put across and it is so vital and hopefully yeah it is obsolete one day but it's definitely not right now so I also think it's very admirable that despite loving it so much you saw the opportunity to let someone else step in because someone hoping to come into that space too I think that's admirable because I don't know how easy that is. I don't don't want it to be like oh I let her have the job no no but you you, you know but I mean it was like I she she went through a but I think it was you know when it's just your time like there's no point but I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the norm like where people are willing to like okay finish like they decide to decide that this isn't you're not getting anything out anymore and and neither is someone else potentially so yeah. you need to and 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 because you know I know like going off research and all of that kind of stuff like these pathways need to be these pathways need to be created and if I'm hogging, sitting in the the one, the first one, you know, it's the first role of that that graduate role, then I'm just hogging the pathway, and I'm not. There's no there's no movement for anyone. Um, so I was like, oh, no, it was definitely, you know, the pregnancy and that definitely played into it too. But it was it was cool that I got it, and you know, the whole like connection. I think that's also important to know, like the connections that and the people that in the networking that you do take all of the opportunities that you can when you when you when they kind of present because one of the other people that was really big when I reflect on it was Melody Robinson she was the actually the person who who joined who introduced me to Suzanne so you know like you know Mel in her own right has been doing her own you know trying to get more women in sport um within mostly within the media sport media and she had created you know her group and I thought again I would never have gone to the group, you know, her wonderful group that she that she kind of created. Didn't know anyone from there, but just thought, oh, okay, I'll just go, like, I'll try it. 
<laughs> so I went and then started, you know, talking to her that way. And then later on down the track, then she just invites me to an event and introduces me to Sue's and is like, oh, this is Ash. She writes for the blog. Like she has her blog that she has. She might be like a good contributor writer for Locker Room. And that's how it started. So um, I think if anyone was going to take anything from it, it was just like, take your, take your opportunities. And if they're not there, make them try if you can you know like exactly what you're doing with the top up syndrome no one was going to let me write because I didn't study it you didn't have that backing behind you but I was like I was able and I was privileged enough to be able to do it myself so I was just like Meh, I'll try it give it a go yeah. <laughs> see where it ends up and then like yeah look I ended up doing this and I get to talk to you so it's obviously working <laughs> I, it's wicked and Mel too I remember watching her when she would commentate on rugby games and she'd be interviewing these players and she's the only one who's won a world cup or a couple like that always cracked me up I was like not many people probably know that just watching they're more focused on that player that's um yeah oh that's cool um to jump into the next question which we talked about earlier I know you did cover many topics when you were at locker room it's the benefit of that platform um, talking about how women in sport are treated and reflective of wider societal issues all the way to gender norms and then bringing in time to you know take action on racism and how conversations around athletes mental well-being needs to start much earlier I was like wow she's really like diving in deep to so many things because you could but part that I thought all right we can hone in and maybe focus on that because it ties into to what you did with your research when do you think that conversation around mental well-being for athletes should begin? I think it's a really good question. I like for me, everything that I do, it is around athletes because just because one, you know, being raised in the rugby and two, you know, like I enjoy watching sport. So that's always been like the hook. Like if I can communicate and do things using sport and athletes, then it's it's that's what I enjoy. But I think the question really is, is like, like not athletes, but just people. And I feel like they should have these starting these conversations in our households, like as soon as they're born, like as soon as people are born and raising your kids and stuff, that's when we should be having conversations around like mental well-being and, and, and looking after yourself and mental health, um, you know, clearly you're not going to dive into all of the research stuff at certain ages when your kids like two or three but there are similar to the research like my our research findings there are ways to communicate those themes at different stages you, you know so like talking about your mental wealth mental health and stuff should be starting actually before you even before we get into like the athlete label of high performance environments and and sporting codes the conversations need to be had and they should be encouraged when you're just a, a young child and then you just happen to go into a sporting environment, um, which is one will be super heightened. Like the pressure is obviously heightened a lot more in those spaces. But if you've had the kinds of conversations led through when you're younger, then when you get there, at least you can maybe start to identify or see things that you're like, eh, I can see what, you know, I can see what my family or whoever raised me was, was talking about. Now that I'm in this environment, it looks like that. And I need to be aware of how I can look after me first before everyone else. 
So I definitely feel like the question is like, when should we be having conversations just in general? And then it just happens to be, if you're an athlete, what that might be, what that might look like when you get into those environments. Because like my, like, for example, my, I've got three kids and like we've just started my kids in athletics yesterday, went to their first meet and, you know, there was all of them, <laughs> you know, first time for everything. It was the same kind of thing. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be good. Like they were nervous. They were anxious leading into it. I don't know if I'm, I'm scared of running. I don't want to do it with lots of people. Then my son who did it was just like, you know, didn't, didn't come first or whatever. <laughs> no, he was, he was, it was his first time. But then he started having self-doubt around, oh, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I feel like I should go back to play softball. And that's what he's usually plays in the summer. I don't want to do it anymore. Like my foot's sore. And that was the opportunity for me as a parent to talk about the, your mental health and stuff. So it's like then is the opportunities that you should be talking to your people that you're raising and whoever you can influence so that when they do, if he does or she does, want to pursue a career in sport once they get to those environments they can kind of be like oh I know what they're talking about or I know how I react in these situations because I've been spoken mum and dad or whoever has spoken to me about it beforehand so you know like building him up hyping you up doing all the same things around you know you give it a go and you try really hard and if you're feeling like not so great about it let's talk about that too it's okay to feel not so great but those kinds of conversations need to start in the household well before they get into like high performance sporting environment because it's exactly the same it's just super heightened once you get to that if you get to that level because it's very unique to get to that level <laughs> definitely you know? even before like if you start getting into high school I know for me if I had a bad race it impacted everything it was school how I felt about relationships like it was it, yeah it diluted into everything else as opposed to what I had to learn when I got older and like over at the college was if, just because I'm 10 seconds slower which is huge in like rowing numbers but yeah. in the grand scheme of life it's not that big like a, would I have been happy if I was 10 seconds faster yes Am I going to let 10 seconds impact me? But I really had to learn that when I was mm -hmm. older and it took a lot. So I agree it needs to just become part and parcel of growing up. And then, yeah, if you get into those areas, but even when you start wanting to do school in gen um, school or sport or arts or something in high school in general, I think it would be really helpful then. And not a natural, but kind of, influences a little bit my question I want to ask and I ask it for everyone is could you please describe in your words and there's no right or wrong answer it's just gathering data um what is tall poppy syndrome and have you experienced it hmm. I think okay my really like the way my brain works I went straight to like a like when when I heard the question I was like okay so what does the research say <laughs> And I may have Googled that to try to understand because in my mind, I'm like, whatever the norms are, norms for anything are now, there has to be a reason as to how we got here, right? And so in my mind, I was like straight away, like, well, where did tall poppy syndrome come from? <laughs> so I Googled because <laughs> I'm a loser like that. Um, and uh, apparently it's an Australian word. And But when I look at it without having seen any of that kind of stuff, without looking it up, 
my most basic understanding of it is that basically it's people cutting down people who they see are being successful. Um, so, you know, tall poppy syndrome to me is you basically are being, you're being salty on people that look like they've succeeded in your eyes. <laughs> um, and have I experienced it? I don't think, I feel like, I feel like sometimes it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be like super obvious, you know, so like the super obvious kind of examples that I see on the daily would be like the comments in the social media sections, you know, like the comments, unnecessary comments, when you really think about it, like, did you really need to post that on the athletes, on that person's like post? has doesn't add anything there's nothing to it like you're just hating on them for whatever reason like one that says more like I'm like that says more about whoever's posting it than the actual person that they're posting about so you yourself um are feeling ways or triggered by whatever that person is doing that you feel the need like there's a process because I mean you have to get your phone or whatever to log into it you have to scroll it you have to like push the buttons and then you have to post there's a lot of steps in that process for you to actually be like thrown out on the web you know up for everyone to see so that one is like a big red flag for me like one those are the kinds of comments that you can visually see that are massive but then I think there's the little little subtleties like for me not experience experiencing them in like maybe little sly comments in spaces that I've been you know, so it's not the cutting down ash like as verbally as the, like as obvious as putting a comment on her post. Although I have probably did get a few comments of some of the articles for locker room, not the majority of them, just the opinion pieces ones. <laughs> um, but it's like maybe being in spaces and realizing that people have made little comments about maybe me being there or thinking that I shouldn't shouldn't be there or or myself thinking that I shouldn't be there based on what's presented around me because I might not look like a lot of the people in the areas that I go to you know my own self-doubt and putting myself down you know cutting myself down like a tall poppy um could be is probably what I've experienced as more my lived experience so there's subtle kind of comments in in dealings is as probably the tall poppy but then you can have them in the overt kind of ones where you're just people and athletes get it a lot where it's just straight off um you know straight off the app and you kind of think well I think anyway and just like it says more about them basically it says more about them than it does me and when you really peel it back why why is the society do we feel the need to do that you know like why do you feel so maybe insecure that you have to make comments about other people that have nothing to do with you like these people are not they're not your friends they don't know you half the time they're never going to read your comments you're never going to meet them so why do people feel the need why do we as a society feel the need to do that and I'm not sure where that comes from um you know is it is it the idea you know if you're really going back and deep into it is it the idea that you know you feel like maybe if that person's doing well you can't do well I don't know, you know, that idea of only certain people can make it. So if they're going to make it then and I can't, I'm going to be salty about it and, and make everyone, you know, know that I feel that way. But again, that does come back to the crux of that's more on you as a person than the person that you're posting about. So, yeah. The, the research sense. part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think even I've 
grown in my approach to tall poppy syndrome from my first interview to with you now because I think at the beginning I thought it was really overt external and then everyone I speak to is like oh maybe a little bit of that but not really and it tends to be more in the sports spaces where people think they have knowledge that you don't or think that an athlete's gonna be hurt by their comment more than they'll be hurt by their own performance like they're the harshest critic and it's really evolved into it's a super internal experience most people have of like almost imposter syndrome is another word that seems to be running in parallel with it and I feel like a real research focus could be definitely appreciated in this field because much like your research into Māori and Pacific Island experience in the rugby space for males, tall poppy syndrome seems to be this thing that everyone's like, oh yeah, I, I know about that and it's cutting down, but there isn't actually a lot of information about it. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's for me changed from external, that is a bit of it, much like you said, but more internal. So trying to hype people up and speak to people such as yourself, who I have a lot of respect and am like very grateful to be speaking to you and hearing your career because that's something that I really want to do but if I hadn't spoken to you and you hadn't been willing to share that with me I wouldn't know like I didn't I can research and find out some of your career journey but actually speaking to you and realizing like well the blog actually (laughs) set off like this series of events gets me super excited because maybe that's what's happening with me but if you hadn't been willing to share your success I wouldn't have listened to it and been able to learn. So kind of pivoting the whole tall poppy syndrome into like if people are willing to not dig on themselves as much and feel confident sharing it, I think that would be lead to maybe a societal change a little bit. But I've had some time to sit with it and think about it. So that was a bit of a ramble. No, no, no. It's so fun because I think the thing that also you have to point out is that they're interconnected. You know, like this idea that the external stuff happens, it actually probably informs in how we're conditioned our own internal dialogue. You know, so like what we see and what we've, what we've, you know, our beliefs and our attitudes, you know, growing up and stuff, whatever our norms were, that will, that will like have an, is interconnected to our internal dialogue. So what we see outside is definitely connected to it. So I don't feel like they're the two they're two separate things. They are definitely connected. It's just I think, you know, like what we are saying is that we need to unpack one on an individual level, but then two on a societal, like a higher level as to how these behaviors show up now in in in, in people because of, you know, what they've probably seen externally, heard or been exposed to, and then how that shows up with you as an individual. But that's just I know that's, that's just my two cents that's just my thoughts <laughs> no I research it at all <laughs> that's just my lens <laughs> yes we need some research um well I'm gonna pivot away from this because I appreciate your time but I have two sort of fun quick quicker questions one I've got to know because you've been involved with so many media roles what has been your favorite sport so far maybe to cover or just in general but what's one that you would love to cover and get involved in it's a tricky one only because you know I think growing up in rugby you you naturally like I'm naturally some what we're just saying I'm going to naturally go towards rugby so you know watched it and all of that growing up 
I will throw in there though, like the league aspect too. So my partner's like likes watching a lot of sport and he we used to watch a lot of leagues kind of tended away now towards NFL because he's a big NFL fan. Um so I think it would go rugby league rugby and league. Um and then uh, like the sports that I probably enjoy watching the most. Um, but then I think actually when I really think about it, the sport that I'd like to, if I could like cover and, and learn more about would be basketball. And I need because if I really think about it, one, it's still a, like a team sport. I don't know if I'd hold interest in the individual sports, sorry. <laughs> I just, I Same. think that I, yeah, the aspect of working with a team is what I probably would enjoy. Um, but at least like you can kind of see similar things in basketball to what, you would do in the rugby and league so that idea of like marking man on man or, or woman on woman or or um uh space it's probably the same for basketball around how they would do things and the athleticism because for me the biggest thing one of the biggest thing is why I still like enjoy watching sport is the athleticism so the freakish things that people can do with their bodies uh is like holy moly to me and being able to cover something like that would be yeah would be it um but I think at the end of the day it's just for me like it definitely sports the hook again but it would actually just be the people stories and I feel like the bus like rugby and league any kind of sport the people stories are the things that I'm most interested in it just happens that to be that they play sport and if I was going to cover a sport for a living or whatever then I think I'd like to try basketball for those reasons <laughs> definitely there's a lot of personality in basketball too <laughs> and obviously the NBA is the big uh, WNBA and NBA in the US is huge but there are slowly more and more like the European league is huge and yeah. we're getting more presence Australasian presence there so yeah um, I think that's Four great three on three like you know like it's it's got a good there's a big variety there for everyone absolutely <laughs> and then last question and I didn't warn you about this one is if you could have one meal for the rest of your life breakfast lunch oh. dinner what's it gonna be Oh, okay. There's this new way in dish for takihi, which is it's like popo and taro and cream basically all like lovely mixed together. Straight off the back of my mind, I feel like I think takihi would be one that I could eat for the rest of my life. But then the other slight thing on my brain went to Japanese food. So ramen, Japanese ramen. I'd, so those are two really extreme and again it, influ it is reflective of my own lived experience so it's like here because of my mom's new way and and she's you know I love new way and food uh, through my mom obviously lived born and raised here uh, but the Japanese ramen is because we used to live in Japan for like five years when we were younger and I can live off Japanese food and I'm very particular about Japanese food if you ask my partner or anything he'd be like oh it's just the same I'm like no it's not there's very there's different you have to have very good Japanese, not like pretending people that like make Japanese, but aren't, isn't, aren't that good. That sounds really bad, eh? But you know what I mean. The Japanese yeah. ramen or takihi, yeah. Yes, those are good. And anything that's going to be, if you're going to eat it, you want it done the best it can be. So I agree with that. Oh, I'm going to wrap it up here, but I just want to thank you so much for your time. Mm. All your influence, your research, I don't know what's going to come with this, but I feel like I've gained so much from hearing you and your journey. So thank you so much for being on Tall Poppy Talk. Oh, thank you so much, Grace. Honestly, I really appreciate it because I definitely have been in your shoes too. Not saying that I'm not there anymore, but definitely know how it feels around 
asking people to talk about their their life experience that sometimes they're like I don't think it's that important so I really appreciate your time too thank you so much thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk we'll see you next time feel free to check us out on socials YouTube and the website thanks for today's guest and we'll see you all next time take care